Good afternoon. My name is Alan, and if you don't know me, uh, I basically serve wherever our church needs me. If you were here last week, you probably caught me on the cajon with the band this week. It just so happens that I'm needed here on the pulpit since uh, our pastor's out for a small break. But nevertheless, it's always a great joy with me to fellowship with you in this way and for God uh, to bless us with his word. And if you've been following us, we've been in a study of First Timothy now about uh, two months or so. And we have gone fairly quickly through the book. As you can see, we are on our second to last Sunday here in Timothy. Next Sunday will be our last Sunday in First Timothy. And then we'll get into our Advent stuff. But everything has been going by so fast. And as we come to a close in this book of First Timothy, Paul now is going to also remind uh, Timothy of some of the important things that he has to remember. And two of those things that we're going to talk about today are false teachers and true contentment. And so before I, I get into it, I kind of want to go ahead and give you the main idea. And this main idea is going to serve as really what these verses are about. It's like a, a summary, and this is our main idea for today. True contentment can only begin once we rightly look at ourselves in light of Scripture. True contentment can only begin once we rightly look at ourselves in light of Scripture. Let, let me pray for our time. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the saints that you have gathered here today, Lord. We thank you for the preservation of their life, Lord, and we pray that as we dive into your word that you would disarm us. You would disarm us of our arguments, our comebacks that we may have, Lord, and that you would help us humbly receive your word and also produce fruit from it because we don't just want to be hearers of your word, but we want to be doers as well, Lord. So I pray that you would bless this time that we have together. In your name we pray. Amen. And so I want to give you a roadmap first, and, and uh, a roadmap, uh, what I like to call it, is basically an overview of all the places that we're going to stop and park for a while, but also an overview of the land that we're going to cover. And so, as mentioned, two of our major points that we're going to cover today are false teachers and true contentment. And so we'll go ahead and talk about false teachers first, and we'll cover that section from verses 3 to 5. And we'll go through it fairly quickly, and we'll learn about uh, five things about uh, false teachers, excuse me, four things about these false teachers. And then after that, we'll go into our second major heading, which is true contentment, which we'll have to deal with, verses 6 through 10. But before we actually get into it and we talk about any type of false teaching or even true contentment, we actually need to know how to distinguish what good and bad teaching is. And to do that, we need to know what good teaching is. And so if we look at the scripture that we're covering today, Paul actually gives us what sound and good teaching is. And it's in the middle of verse 3. He says, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this, this word sound, we're going to do a lot of Greek study, right? Because the New Testament is written in the Greek. But this word sound in the Greek actually means healthy. So it could be translated to the healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does Paul say is healthy teaching? Well, really, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is all scripture given to us by God as it is revealed in the Bible. 
This includes 1 Timothy. And we talked a lot about different topics in 1 Timothy like prayer, piety, the role of men and women, how um, we should treat uh, widows, how we should treat older saints, and now even in the topics of false teachers and true contentment. All of it, and this is not just First Timothy, but all of the Bible, Old Testament, now especially New Testament, as Jesus has been revealed. And so that is what good teaching is. It is the words of our Lord in the scriptures. But as you can imagine, false teachers don't teach this. They don't teach any of it. And so now we're going to dive into our first subheading which has to do with false teachers, and that is their teaching. Because they teach something differently. They don't teach the sound words of our Lord Jesus, and Paul tells us what they teach. And let's go ahead and start reading from verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing that Paul tells us is that they teach a different doctrine. Something totally different, not having to do with the healthy words of our Lord. Something completely different. You could even say, or put it this way, that they affirm things not in Scripture. This could be extra-biblical sources like other books, because a lot of religions have the Bible plus other books. But at the same time, it can be also man-made doctrines. For the sake of convenience, for the sake of self-gratification, for example, no Christian should suffer, no Christian should be poor. And we know all of that of the prosperity gospel, but this kind of leads me to a side note. These false teachers are not just something that happened in Paul's day and Timothy's day. These false teachers are around us right now. They're around us right now. They're functioning. So it's not like they appear and then they hide for a couple of eras and then they pop up on the scene. There has been false teachers as creation has started. Secondly, Paul tells us, not only do they teach a different thing, but they do not agree with the sound words of our Lord. The verse says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, another way that you could think about it is that the things that are in Scripture, that is what they deny. Not only do they teach a different thing, but the things in Scripture they deny. They deny things in Scripture. So they affirm things not in Scripture, and they deny things in Scripture. That is their teaching. And as I was kind of going through this, Tony and I were hanging out, and we're kind of thinking about some of the things that, that are in the world today, some of our issues today that false teachers have actually tried to deny, the first thing that we could think about was the deity of Jesus. That is, we're trying to reduce, or more like they're trying to reduce, Jesus to just a man. They're trying to strip him of his deity, of being not only fully human or fully man, but actually fully God. And so we say that teachers, uh, Jesus was just a great teacher, he was a great person, he was a great prophet, one that could compete with Moses, but not really because Moses is actually better than him. And so we, 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 are in this rabbit hole when it comes to false teachers as it pertains to the deity of Jesus. Not only that, we also deny his supremacy. Oh, there are other many ways to God. It surely isn't just Jesus. 
Jesus is kind of just like an afterthought, one of the other people along with Buddha and everybody else. But we are trying to deny the deity of Jesus and the supremacy of Jesus. And when I say we, I don't mean us, but I mean us as in us humans. The second thing was marriage. False teachers are denying the proper biblical view of what marriage is in light of Scripture between a man and a woman in the eyes of the Lord. And most recently now, it even goes to as far as the identity. Now they are denying what the Bible says who we are. And are trying to really tell you, well, you could be whatever you want to be. And no, you aren't inherently evil. It's just your culture around you. But as we saw in our last sermon series, when it came to the parables of Jesus, Jesus kind of threw that argument out the window. But nevertheless, this is their teaching. It's a different doctrine and a doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends off this verse. And this is kind of like a little little piece of information for you to have because we'll be back to this. But the end of the verse 3, it says, uh, and the teaching that accords with godliness. And this teaching, obviously, he's referring to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that this teaching accords with godliness. This word accord in the Greek is linked. That's what the word means. So really it's the teaching that links with godliness. Godliness is Christ's likeness. So the teaching that is linked with Christ's likeness. And this is kind of a little ticket that you should have and hold on because we'll be back to it later. Is that good healthy teaching always produces good fruit. Good healthy sound teaching should always be linked with good fruit. We'll be back to that later. But, like I said, we're going to go through this portion very quickly, and now Paul goes on to tell us their attitude. That is our second point. We know their teaching, it's different, and the things that are in Scripture, they deny, but also their attitude. Verse 4 starts off by saying, He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. What is their attitude as it pertains to false teachers? Well, they're puffed up. In other words, they exaggerate their own importance. They exaggerate their own superiority. In other words, they're arrogant. That's who false teachers are. They're arrogant. And obviously, this is the result of you putting yourself above God's word. It'll always lead you to that, right? Because at the point where you say, I know what the Bible says, but I say you have elevated yourself above Scripture, You have elevated yourself to the point that you're saying, I'm superior and my thoughts are superior than Scripture. And this is their attitude. They're the one that that is puffed up and conceited. They're arrogant. But then he continues, says, and understands nothing. As a result of their arrogance, they understand nothing. This is what Paul says it himself in Romans 1, that claiming to be wise, they became fools. Second Peter calls them waterless clouds. Jude 12 calls them waterless springs. They promise, but they don't deliver. It looks visually like they have something good, but they don't produce anything. Claiming to be wise, they are fools. And where does their arrogance take them? He says, He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. They are so arrogant that they go to the point of theorizing because it can't mean, the Bible can't mean what it means because I say that it can't mean what it means. And so there must be another explanation for this. They're so arrogant that they theorize instead of taking 
the simple word of God for the simple word of God. Now, when I say simple, I'm not saying that it's easy to understand, but really just reading it. And we've gotten a lot of people theorize about some crazy stuff in Scripture. And the last thing they do is read the Bible for what it is. But we saw their, 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 their teaching. We saw their, their attitude. And now Paul is going to teach us their fruit. He goes on to say, which produce, in that same verse 4, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. So as we talk about this fruit that the false teachers produce, that's why I had mentioned that in verse 3, right? Because if good teaching always produces good fruit, then the other must be true. Bad teaching is always going to produce what? Bad fruit. And so let's run through real quick what false teaching produces, which produce envy, which is, means, really just means jealousy, right? Yeah, being upset at the things that other people, that, the things that people have that you can have. And then it goes to dissension. Dissension is strife or battle, enmity, some form of enmity. Then he goes on to say slander, which is really insulting somebody for not agreeing with you, using another person's name in vain. Then it goes on to evil suspicions. Now you go to the point of start uh, conjuring up evil motives against that other person. And then he says constant friction. This word is actually irritation. It's happening over and over and over again. Well, why? Because false teaching keeps on getting taught over and over again. and They can't get out of the cycle. And then he calls them among, so this is among themselves, among people who are depraved in mind, that is, corrupted in mind. And we see easily how that is because we've seen their teaching for convenience or for whatever reason, but it's a different doctrine that they're corrupted in mind and also deprived of the truth. And so as we look at this phrase, deprived of the truth, that could mean two things. It's either one, they left willingly from the truth, or two, they were taken from the truth. In other words, that you know, they became under the influence of somebody and that person go ahead and took them along. But either way, whatever translation you, just, you, you go for and whatever way you read it, these individuals at some point were in proximity to the truth. They probably had Bibles. They probably read it. Probably came to church. Probably went to CG. Whatever it is, they were in proximity to the truth, but they departed from it. They departed from it. And so this is why we should be careful with the people we listen to. You are not immune to this because you read books, because you look on the Internet. If we're not rightly grounded in the Word of God, this can happen to you. This is a danger. So don't get upset when people are telling you, I really think you shouldn't be listening to this person. I really think... You know, you should guard yourself with this person's teaching because here's the thing. What's at stake here is not just ideology. It's not just thoughts. It's salvation. That's what's at stake at here. It's not because we're trying to be jerks, but salvation is at stake here. It's life or death. And so this is obviously important. And then Paul goes to talk about their motive, their motive. He says in the, in the remaining part of verse 5, 
imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You want to know how corrupted their minds are? You want to know how far away from the truth their minds are? Their motive, Paul tells us very clearly, it's gain. It's all gain for them. This is who they are. And to kind of help us understand how all of this links together, this word godliness is not the godliness that we know of that it's been talking about in verse 3. Paul's here is actually being sarcastic. He's saying, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. This godliness that he's talking about is their false piety. They teach what they teach. They say what they say because to them there is a motive. There is gain for them. They're at the center of their own doctrine. They're at the center of their own theology. It's all about them. There's no real care for souls. All of it is one big game of greed. There's a motive. To them, it's gain. And we'll see later that really this is all about money. That's the type of gain these false teachers were after. But whatever it is, to them, that's their gain. There's no real care for the people they lead astray. There isn't. The motive is money. Their followers, dollar signs. They don't care for you. And so after talking a lot about these false teachers, Paul now is going to transition. Transition into talking about false teachers to talking about true contentment. And this all starts in verse 6. And this is where we will spend most of our time because this is important. It's so important that Paul actually spends verses 7 through 10 interpreting this one verse alone. So this gives us an indicator that whatever Paul is teaching here, he wants us to get it. This is important. And so Paul is really within this one verse alone is going to teach us three things about true contentment. And it's pretty deserving for him to do this. It's fitting for him to do this because he knows what contentment is. And we all have our thoughts and ideas of what contentment is, but biblically, we're going to see what true contentment is. And the first thing or the first place that Paul takes us is really that True contentment is satisfaction in God's provision. True contentment is satisfaction in God's provision. So let's go ahead and read that verse. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so this is the first time we actually see this word in our time together, this word contentment. It's a little bit confusing, but Follow along with me. Paul in that time, as you know, uh, would hang around these philosophical cliques. And he would love to debate and, and, and argue, right, with, with all of the top philosophers in his day. And they often use this word in verse 6, contentment. But the way that the Stoic philosophers use it was to speak of somebody who was self-sufficient, Self-sufficient, in other words, wasn't shaken by external circumstances, was unflappable, was independent to external circumstances. It really meant to be satisfied with oneself, not needing anything from anybody, being independent. And so the question is, why would Paul use it here when we just finished talking about false teachers, and this is a 
different doctrine. Well, Paul is actually redeeming this word from the culture he lived in. And although this word is written like the philosophers would use it, he actually means it by what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Let's go ahead and read that real quick. He says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Again, this was something those philosophers believed. Independence, you didn't need anything from anybody. But he's saying here, this sufficiency is not of our own. Then he goes on to say, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient. So this speaks of God's provision over our everyday lives. God makes us sufficient. And this goes beyond everything else. This is what God provides. The now. We are not sufficient within ourselves, but rather it is God that provides for us. So it really comes down to satisfaction in what God provides. So the question I want to ask you is, are you satisfied in what God has provided for you? Get honest, get real with yourself. This could be your car, the place you live, the job you work, the money that you have. Are you content? That's what true contentment is. It's not just so much a happy feeling as some would think it to be, but it's really satisfaction in God's providence. Because here's, here's a reality. Anything that you have, that you own, that you possess, although I know that you worked hard for it because we all do, all of it was a gift from God to you. If we go back to, to the verse, verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Everything was provided to you by God. So are you content with that? And we'll come back to this question later because I know you have answers. I know you have arguments. Trust me, I have arguments too. But as we know, as we contrast this with false teachers, this isn't the case with false teachers. They're not content. As we see in verse 6, this this verse actually begins with but. Right? And this word but is actually, uh, Paul's using it to compare what he just said. And what was he talking about? He was talking about the motives that these false teachers have. It was all gain to them, right? And then he goes on to say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. What he's saying here is that false teachers are never content and they will never be content. They're not satisfied with what they have. They consume and they consume and they consume. They're greedy. And so on the other hand, Paul is saying here, Christians should be satisfied with what they have. We should be satisfied in God's provision. No matter how small, no matter how big. Because it seems like sometimes we just give thanks to God when it's the big things. You know, we got a house, got a new car, praise God. But, you know, what, where is the praise when you reconcile with somebody? Where is the praise when somebody pays for your lunch? See, true contentment is not just about the major life events. There are small fractions of things that happen in your everyday life. All of that, guess what? It's God provision for you. But we don't talk about that because it's not good enough. 
And so now the question is why? Why should we be satisfied? Well, the answer lies in the two words that come before the word contentment. And he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to know what true contentment is? Not only is it satisfaction in what God's provides, but it also at the same time accompanies godliness. Another way you could read this phrase is that godliness that is accompanied by contentment. That is to say that the reality is that contentment will always be present wherever godliness is present, period. They are inseparably linked together. Where when one goes, the other goes. You can't have them exclusive to each other, but they're inclusive to each other. And we know, you know that godliness is produced by the word of God. We saw that in verse 3. It's the healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that is a teaching that is linked with godliness. Godliness is what? Christ's likeness. And so how is it that godliness is linked with contentment? Well, to start, part of godliness is being able to submit to God's word as Christ submitted to the Father. Obedience. Humility. It is accepting the truth of who we are in the Bible. That's the first stop. We take the word of God for the word of God. And who does the Bible say we are? Well, Paul actually has a lot to say about that, and I'll say this statement first, but we are undeserving sinners who have received God's grace. That's it. That's it. And if there was someone who knew this very well, it was Paul. It was Paul. When we go to the book of 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10, he actually shares what he feels, what he thinks. Because as you know, Paul, before he became a Christian, he was a persecutor. He would literally drag people out of their houses, throw them in jail, or even kill them for their belief. And this is what he says. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now I want to pause here because this is not just Paul. We all have sinned. It's what Romans says. We, we all have wandered away. We are all unworthy. It's not just Paul. We are all unworthy of God's grace. Verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's saying, I'm a hard worker. But then he says, though it was not I, it wasn't him. But the grace of God that is with me. That is what true contentment looks like. That's what it looks like. That's only one portion, right? That's, looking, that's only really looking at ourselves in light of Scripture. And so, in light of knowing who we are, and that is undeserving sinners, as Paul has told us, we should be satisfied with whatever God has decided to give us. That's how godliness and contentment go hand in hand. This is why we should be satisfied. If we know where we come from, we should be satisfied with whatever God gives. That's the good teaching of godliness, of humility, and that goes along with contentment. 
Every time we have a high and correct view of the scriptures and a low view of ourselves, it should always lead us to contentment. That's our main idea was. True contentment can only start once we rightly look at ourselves and what the Bible says we are, and that is what? Undeserving sinners. We don't deserve any of this. We don't. And this is why false teachers will never be content. They produce no godliness, and therefore no contentment will follow. The reason is because they have a high view of themselves and a low view of Scripture. To them, it works the opposite way. They have a high view of themselves that they're arrogant, and then they look at the Bible, and they don't like what's in the Bible because for whatever reason, so they, they, they start shifting it to what they believe the Bible should say. And you know what happens when we put ourselves higher than the sufficiency of the word? You don't get contentment. You actually get entitlement. I deserve. I thought my life would be different. Because at, at the end of the day, when you do that, you're putting yourself at the center of your own theology. At the center of your own doctrine. You're thinking that the world revolves around you when it doesn't. So, Paul says in verse 8, verse eight but if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be satisfied, content. We should be content with the basic necessary things, but sometimes it's not the case. We want more. We want more. And just to expose myself a little bit, um, I, uh, after, or this was around before the time I was going to get married, I, I uh, would always work out with Marco. And uh, we would always work out, and, you know, we would talk and all of those things. But around that time, I had been trying so hard so hard to get into a school district. And I would apply school districts, I would apply school districts, and it seemed that like my application, got, they got it and they just threw it in the trash. And so uh, I applied here at McAllen and uh, they took me in and they gave me a job. And so I worked servicing students who are considered at risk. And so I remember a couple of weeks after that, day after day, and I promise you it was day after day, I would go with Marco to work out and I would complain. Man, they don't even tell me what to do. Man, they don't treat me well. Man, there's so many kids to, to service. I don't know what to do. Man, if only God would just give me another job. Well, God moved his hand. Now I'm a PE teacher there. Am I satisfied? No. Man, these parents. Man, this. Man, that means now I have to actually stay longer, show up earlier. But that kind of gives you an idea of where somebody's heart is at. That gives you an idea of where they're at. A lack of contentment equals a lack of not taking the Bible serious. And that is dangerous. We should be content with what we have, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. The simple things. The simple things. And lastly... 
Paul tells us that true contentment is great gain. He tells us that true contentment is great gain. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. See, it's not just gain like false teachers would have. Because again, remember, this is a, a, a verse that, that's a contrast word, right? There's but. And so what Paul is trying to say, they have gain. Through their false piety, their false living, their false everything, they have gain. But let me tell you what. If you have this gain, that is true godliness, true contentment, that is far greater gain than you could ever imagine. If we go back to verse 5, it says that these false teachers are imagining that godliness, their false piety, is a means of gain. They're imagining. The Greek word for this is fantasizing. False teachers think it is gain, and it may be for while here, we're here right now, but it isn't. They think it is gain, but it is not gain. Then what is it? Well, let's jump to verse 9. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, a.k.a. false teachers, into a snare, and to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. They think that it is gain. And while they have money, you won't hear any complaint for them. But the reality is that there is a life beyond this one, and that is the one that they don't have anything. They have temporal riches right now. But what did Paul say? We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Once you die, your things stay here. Your soul gets taken, and that's it. This type of false teaching plunges people into ruin and destruction, and they will continue to imagine and think that it is gain. And like I said, although it is to this temporal world, it is no gain in the other world. And then Paul says in verse 10, for the love of money, and that is a key word, the love of money. It's not that money is the root of all evil, but it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Because think about it this way. With money, you could satisfy whatever desire you want. Whatever desire you want. It was through the love of money that Judas gave up Jesus. With money, not only comes great responsibility, but it also brings great temptation. He says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away, talking again about these false teachers from the faith, and pierced themselves with many pangs. That great gain that false teachers think is great gain has a limit. And that limit is when you die. Because when you die, you cannot take anything with you. And it is on that day where the false teachers like Joel Osteen, false teachers like Jesse DePlantis, false teachers like Kenneth Copeland, 
will get up to heaven if they don't repent, and Jesus will tell them, I never knew you. Don't be part of that group. Don't chase for the riches here. For we have already seen that the richest man in the world, though he may be rich, he is the poorest man in the world without Christ. This is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 21. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't do it. Why? Because they're temporal. Moth come in and rust and destroy and thieves come and steal. And then he says another but. Jesus. But lay up for your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The question that I want to ask you to close this, where are you when it comes to contentment? Are you satisfied? Are you content? What is your gain? What is it that you're after? This life is here right now, but it could go like this. So where is your gain? What is it that you're after? Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Are you content? And if you're not content, how do you view the scriptures? Do you believe what the Bible says about you? And so, to close, if you're visiting here for the first time, you wouldn't consider yourself a believer. And even if you are a believer, there's great danger here. Great danger here. Because like false teachers, if you're not careful, or you may be already here in, in, in this situation, you will strive to look for contentment, but you will never obtain it. It's going to be smoke. It's going to be smoke. It's going to be an endless game of, of chasing the rabbit. You will spend your whole life trying to chase it, and you will never obtain it. It's as if you're driving down the street and you see that down there, down the street, it looks like it's wet. But as you get closer and closer, as it's as dry as it could ever be, that's what it looks like when an individual is not content. You're chasing smoke. So I would ask you, please repent. Please God and his riches has decided to give you the lot that you have. The true contentment that you want is not a superficial external one. It is an internal one. And the only person that could satisfy that desire of contentment is Jesus. But that is exactly the person who you're running away from. So church, where is your heart right now? When you see the scriptures, what do you believe the Bible says? Is it what you want it to be? Are you at the center of your own theology, your own doctrine? Or is it Jesus? Because that alone makes a 
difference. Huge difference. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time that you have given us to study the scriptures. We thank you for this time that you have given us to understand who false teachers are and how they work and also help us understand what true contentment is. Lord, we would just pray that you would rid us of our idols. That you would rid us of the earthly things that we're trying to chase that will never produce contentment in which we would never be satisfied, but rather that you would help us look to you as the giver, the one giving us these things. And we pray that you would create in us a heart of gratitude for what we have, though it may not be much, Lord. We pray that you would change our hearts to better be aligned where you want us to be.